You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. My name's Kevin Twitt, uh, campus minister with Reformed University Ministries down at Belmont, and also the Indelible Grace guy. Um, Matt asked if I'd moderate this panel, and I got Tripp coming up, and Jimmy, and you already know Isaac and Johnny over here. I'm going to let each of these guys uh, maybe introduce themselves. Maybe we'll start over there with Isaac. Um, as we think about this uh, topic of multicultural worship, a lot of people, I think, really have, have woken up maybe in these last couple of years to, you know, there's still significant struggles and issues um, loving each other. Um, working together, listening to one another, learning from one another. Um, don't have to convince y'all of that, I don't think, but I would love maybe just introduce yourself, talk about even a little bit about your context that you're working in, and then we're gonna, I guess, riff a little bit on this theme of Jesus alone, what that means for worship in light of the fact that the church of Christ is bigger than people that talk like us and sing like us. That's the reality we gotta deal with. And uh, how do we honor Jesus in that? That's what we're going to talk about. But why don't you talk a little bit about your, who you are and your context first. Yeah, Isaac Adams, you all obviously already know me. Uh, pastor up in D.C. at Capitol Hill Baptist, uh, predominantly white uh, Southern Baptist church. Uh, grew up in a PCA, uh, Lily White Church as well. So that's where I'm ministering. Is that just to get us started? Yeah, so that's where yeah, I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Johnny Barona, and I'm actually from South Florida, West Palm Beach. Uh, very diverse Hispanic Latino culture, but right now I'm actually at Sojourn Community Church. Uh, historically, for most of the church's life, it's been in the hipster neighborhood of the Highlands, reaching creatives and college students, and then four years ago we transitioned to Shelby Park, a predominantly black neighborhood. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and uh, my name is Jimmy McNeil, and I'm at a church called the Austin Stone, and we are in Austin, Texas, and my campus, uh, we have a few campuses there, but my campus is really predominantly white, um, and I am one of a couple of brothers uh, that I have my skin type um, and my skin tone uh, that are at that church, but um, I love it. I'm thankful for what God is doing there. I'm thankful that God uses me in my context um, and even my background of coming from a predominantly African-American church. That's where I grew up, and uh, I think people see that in some of the ways that I, I lead as well, but, uh, but yeah, that is my context now, which um, has definitely changed uh, the way that I view, in all honesty, uh, the, I guess, quote unquote, white culture of what contemporary music looks like. So, yeah. Um, I just wanna, before I answer this question, I just wanna say that that story Isaac just told, uh, <laughs> itself was heavily redacted. That's not how it happened. That's not, that's not what uh, Bleaker sounds like. That's not what his voice sounds like. He was like, here's my deal. That's not what he did. I got you, bro. I got you. I got you, man. Uh, that was one of many inaccuracies in that story. My name is Tripp. Uh, I, uh, I grew up, uh, got saved in a church. It was a... Um, uh, Black Baptist Church, very big church. That's why I got saved. Uh, ended up going to Philadelphia. Was part of a urban church plant uh, that was really young and urban. Then I was in uh, Capitol Hill in D.C. Was a pastor on staff there, which was 
on Capitol Hill, uh, predominantly white, and now I'm a pastor at a new church plant in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in uh, the West End, which is a oldest neighborhood in Atlanta, also a uh, rough neighborhood, and the Lord is blessing our work thus far. Predominantly black neighborhood, like 90% black, so, yep. Awesome. So, if we could just even build on what you were just talking about, and thank you for that, for that sermon and that word, brother. Sure. Um, I, I recently uh, was at a conference in the PCA, and Jimmy knows, you know, did, you, did I hear you say, call it Lily White PCA? Did, no. I mean, I wasn't going to say Yeah, <laughs> no, you true. did. Yeah, this you is did. In, in the Presbyterian Church of America, Conservative Presbyterian Church. I think we have 35 or 40 African-American pastors out of about 1,500. All right, that's our context. And, um, you know, one of, I think one of the things Matt wanted me to, to mention was, you know, we had a conference a couple years ago. Okay, so in RUF, we're at a number of colleges, and one of them is Jackson State, historic black university in Jackson, Mississippi. And it's been interesting trying to, trying to even figure out how students from that uh, background, from that school, enter into RUF, where we're singing a lot of old hymns set to folk music tunes. How do we honor their voice, their history, our voice, put it all together? And um, even in the midst of that, dealing with, with this issue, uh, um, when you're talking about Jesus only. I think about one of the subtle ways that I think we miss this is when people say musical style doesn't really matter. That seems to me a pretty majority culture thing to say. And it seems to me that one, sometimes when I hear people discuss musical style, I get the sense that they feel that there's one pure cultural expression of the gospel. And it seems that the letter to the Galatians says that's a big problem. Because if there was any candidate for the pure expression culturally of the gospel, it would have been Judaism, right? God said, dress this way, eat this way, you know, do all this stuff. And yet Paul says, you don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to adopt this culture uh, to be pleasing to God. But I think there are all kinds of ways, as I look, especially at, in white, majority white churches, where I don't think people even realize how we're in some ways saying that to people. Could, could y'all speak about that? Maybe help people understand what it's like to come into kind of those majority white context churches and maybe things we don't even realize that ways in some ways we're undermining the gospel. Yeah. I think, I don't think that's too strong. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think there can often be times where, uh, where we're in an environment where uh, majority culture kind of decides the kind of songs we sing and the way that we do things and, uh, you know, if you, if you say, hey, you know, that song, I think it's kind of hard for people like me uh, to relate to, or, you know, have we thought about anything style-wise? You know, I think the kind of perspective, I think the way that shows up, the thinking that there's one more pure culture is, I think it usually shows up in people thinking that it's just kind of neutral culturally. Yes. Like, no, we're just singing songs about Jesus. So we're not over here worrying about styles that much. We're just singing songs about Jesus. And I'm like, you're singing them how you sing songs about Jesus. Um, and so that's not to say that every church has to try to do every single style of everyone that's going to work in it. That would be uh, bizarre. I've seen people try it. It was bizarre. But... <laughs> That is to say that in the way that we lead people, we cannot assume that any, any expression is neutral. We cannot exp assume that any expression is uh, necessarily superior. And I think we have to consider, um, 
I think we have to consider the people that we're serving as, uh, as we do those styles. So for instance, at our church, uh, we know that you know, most of the people in our neighborhood, they're gonna be accustomed to a particular kind of music. They're gonna be thinking like gospel. That's what they think of when they think church music. So we have to keep that in mind as, as we lead stuff. Even like me, like I didn't grow up listening to gospel. I was listening to hip hop. Gospel never really connected with me in that same way. Um, and I'm not rapping on Sunday morning. I don't think that would be um, necessarily helpful because people can't sing along. But what we have to keep in mind is, uh, yeah, People are going to be served best when they, when they can actually connect with the song and they can connect with the heart of the song and worship Jesus in it too. And it's something that has to be uh, considered. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just add on to that, man. Um, so I know for me, just coming from a predominantly African-American church where uh, we did do nothing but just gospel songs. Um, and I got introduced to uh, contemporary Christian music at a camp that I went to and I looked at it and I said, that's weird. Um, it's like those infomercials that I used to make fun of. And I mean, yeah, they were singing all those songs. I was like, ah, that's hilarious. Um, but I, like I remember standing in the back and thinking, man, this ain't real. This is not real worship. This ain't true. This ain't right. We need to, man, we need to change this music up. Like we need to have some people that we need to put a choir in the back, get some people dancing and running around here. I mean, it'll be real good. It's going to be some good church. I can tell you all that right now. But as I, as I sat there, I remember seeing something that I also hadn't seen in my church because we memorized the songs in my church. Um, I saw a screen that had lyrics on it. And I don't even think the people that were in the room knew that that was just different than what I was, like I, I sat in culturally. And as I read the lyrics on the screen, the truth of God, that the lyrics that were inspired by God's word struck a chord in me. And I didn't see it as a certain kind of type of genre of music anymore. I saw it as this is glorifying God. This is real worship. It may be different than any, the style that I'm used to, but this is real worship. This is good. And as I processed that, and as I uh, even um, traveled through uh, my time frame of becoming a worship pastor now at a predominantly white church, the, the things that go through my mind are, yes, you need to know the people that you're leading. You need to know them. And my biggest hope whenever I lead a congregation is that you would have an encounter with God. Not that you would like my style. Yep. I want you to have an encounter with the holy, perfect, yep. righteous, just, good God. Yep. And even tonight, I changed my entire, my whole set list was catered to you. That you may glorify God. We added more hymns to the set, even today, because I saw just the way that when the hymns were sang throughout the last day and a half, I saw how you guys worshiped. So I said, man, Lord, I don't care about trying to introduce a new song or trying to, trying to sway them to go this way or that. I'm like, nah, Lord, I want you to be glorified and I want them to have an encounter with you. So we're going to sing these songs and I'm on my knees begging you, asking you right now, what do you want those songs to be? So point is, I want you guys to get to know the context of the people that you're leading whether it's predominantly African-American, predominantly white, predominantly Hispanic, Mexican, whatever that is, uh, whatever that may be, I, my hope is that you would get to know them first and then start to understand what it is that, that they connect to and what it is that, that they're encouraged by and, and what, kind of, what types of music that really stir their soul to glorify God and not just stare at you. Yeah, amen. So, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love what you said about connecting with those people. I mean, multicultural worship is a direct implication of a person that has multicultural relationships. It sounds like somebody who would say that probably 
does not have that. You know, I, I don't want to call anybody out, but if you had multicultural relationships, I feel like you would see very easily how much, how, how much that statement is flawed. And that's why I love what you said about connecting with people. That's so important. Kevin, you asked, um, you asked what it's like. Uh, and I think just a simple way to answer that question for yourself, for anyone in this room, uh, to experience what it's like to be a minority, go be a minority in someone else's room. So I want to I ask just a diagnostic question of yourself. Have you ever visited a church where you are not in the predominant culture? Have you ever sat through the worship of a church where you are not, not everyone looks like you, actually nobody looks like you? Because week after week, that's what people are doing uh, in our churches. And uh, I just want to hit on something um, McNeil was hitting on earlier because this was just so good. He said, this is a quote from Vaughn Roberts who wrote a book called True Worship. And he said, if I identify an experience with a genuine encounter with God and only a certain kind of music gives me that experience, then it will be very important to me that that kind of music is played regularly in my church. That will cause no problems if everyone shares... Uh, my, if everyone shares my taste, but if, other, if others feel they need different kinds of music, there is bound to be trouble. Those with other preferences are dismissed as unspiritual, old fuddy-duddies, or mindless, frothy youngsters. And I really just wanted to use the word frothy, but the point is, the point is what he was saying is that he was saying this certain, sti this certain style equals encounter with God, yep. and nothing else gives me encounter <coughs> with God, therefore this is now moralized, and no one who wants to share in this style is, or everyone who wants to, no one who, want, who can share in that style can enjoy God like I can, and that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, it seems to me that that's a problem for everybody. Yeah. And it, it seems to me as I, as I talk to people, and particularly as I try to listen, um, I think we're dealing with a spiritual maturity issue. Yeah. And I, I mentioned there's a, a Lutheran um, lady, worship theologian, maybe some of y'all have, have read Marva Dawn, um, her book, Reaching Out Without Dumbing Doubt, really helpful book, and she said one time, if our churches really reflected the kind of diversity they should, everybody should expect to sing songs they don't like. And I, I find a lot of times worship leaders get thrown in the, in the sort of the role of trying to help people realize that when really that's a pastoral <laughs> issue, like to try to get beyond, not that, again, that style doesn't matter because then you're saying, you know, the incarnation doesn't matter. Because Jesus became a particular man in a particular culture, yeah, yeah. right? Yet, the church is bigger than one particular culture. So how do you express that particular cultures matter, but the church isn't limited to one culture? I don't know. But you've got to try to, you know, you're lying about the church if you don't express that somehow. And yet, you've got to elevate beyond just preferences. Like, worship can't happen unless it sounds like this. That's everybody's problem. Yeah. And uh, you got any thoughts on where we go? How do we, how do we bridge that? How do we deal with that problem? I, th I think there is a big uh, spiritual maturity uh, component. If we are singing, um, yeah. So if we're gonna be diverse families, then we're gonna have different tastes, we're gonna come from different backgrounds. That just is gonna be a fact. And if everybody, like we're saying, uh, is obsessed with their particular style. We're not going to be able to worship together. So everyone has to come to the family of God with a willingness to make sacrifices. Uh, you know, so I was at Capitol Baptist Church for four years, and when I first got there, me and my wife literally could not worship Jesus while the songs were happening. I did not know what was happening. I was like, this is a lot of words. Yeah. 
And these, <laughs> and, and these melodies are of a kind I've not heard. A foreign tongue, so to speak. It was. Uh, but the thing, that was, the thing that was good about them, by the end of my four years there, uh, I really loved a lot of those songs because the content was rich. It was about Jesus. Uh, you know, it really would take my heart on a journey of glorying in Jesus. So by the time I left, that still was not my preferred style of music. But what it was is... Uh, yeah, me and my wife understood that what, what was most important when we gather together, uh, when we think about what God has called us to do in our singing together, he's called us to um, make, sing to one another, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, right? So we're not only uh, just singing to the Lord, we're also singing with one another, and it's to build one another up, speaking the truth in love. And the truth of the gospel is in those songs. So the main thing God has called us to do when we gather together and sing, and we were able to do that because of the gospel content in those songs, and that enabled us to be faithful to Jesus. And we love those songs because they really served our soul. And we have to be able to try to come with a perspective that looks for what's most important, not just something that we prefer, that says the thing that matters most is that this allows us to obey Jesus, make melody in our heart to the Lord and sing to one another and build each other up. Yeah. So that, that's on a, that's every member of the church has to be thinking that way. Um, and then leaders have, have ways we need to lead in that too. But I'll what comes to my mind is uh, exactly what you're talking about. It's in Colossians, um, uh, where, it, where Colossians, it talks about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, um, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Uh, and then it goes on to say, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it says, with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And that's a, this is a passage that's just been wrecking me out the last three, four months. And uh, as I have thought about it, as I've prayed about it, as I've, I've, I've write, written, written down prayers and certain things, the biggest thing that stuck out to me is what he says first, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Yep. And even as I, as I shared that story with y'all that I saw on the screen, it was the word of Christ. And what's crazy is when Christ is just rooted and deeply rooted into the songs that we're writing and the songs that we're singing. You know, the, the crazy thing about music, y'all know this, like, man, you hear a random commercial, that sucker sticks with you. I'm like, oh my goodness, stop playing that commercial over and over again because it's, it's stuck in my brain. Those melodies stick in your mind. And what's crazy is when you put those melodies to songs that are talking about God's word that come straight from his word, those things are going to stick with people and the word of Christ is going to dwell in them richly. Y'all get that? Like the word of Christ is going to dwell in them richly. And then they're going to take some of those songs that come straight from God's word as they're spending time reading his word. They're going to realize, oh man, dude, that's exactly what we sang about. That's where that song comes from. And they're going to share that passage and that song with someone else to yep. encourage them as they speak and admonish one another with all wisdom. Yep. And then next thing you know, those songs, those hymns and spiritual songs, those can only come from the word of God. They only come from the Bible. Hymns can only come from the Bible. Spiritual songs come from the Bible. And then as we continue to do all those things, man, it's so sweet to do that with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Yeah. We show that expression of thanksgiving as we sing. Yeah. And then people, just like Tripp was talking about up here earlier, man, people start to see, man, we actually believe in this glorious God. Yes, this God that we sing about, yeah, he's real. Yeah, yeah and it's so good for me. So for me, I'm just, I'm thinking, man, as long as our songs are, are theologically rich, you know, and, and they're not what I like to call fluff songs in a way, I know there, there is like a, a great mix of songs that, um, that tug at the heart and songs that are just like deep and um, so 
they have so many dang words and uh, it makes you think, you know, like I, I think those songs, all those songs are good, yep. but at the same time, man, they have to come from truth. I know when, when David wrote the Psalms, when a lot of Psalms that I read, sometimes his heart is just like saying, oh yeah, Lord, great are you, Lord, Lord I, I want to praise you like forever. Your love is faithful forever and singing all these words and then he'll go, go back and say, this is what you've done. Lord, this is who you are. You're the one who gave boundary to the seas. You're the one who told the stars where to be at. You're the one who gave light to this earth. And those kind of things that the, uh, I think it's Psalm 95 that, that, that just shares this, this great context of, hey, come praise him. And here's why. Here's a theological concept. And then, hey, let's go praise him some more. And then all of you that are in here that aren't believers, yes, you need to take heed and believe today. Like, yeah. don't run away from him now. Like, yeah. Take heed to his word now. This is your opportunity. Yep. So as, if we keep doing that, man, if we keep bringing God's truth from his word into those songs, I can tell you that, man, in a beautiful way, it won't matter how it sounds because honestly, when I read scripture tonight, y'all rejoiced. Yep. Yeah. You know, like scripture does that to us. God's word does that to us. Christ does that to us. So let's put Christ in our songs all the time. Yep. And then I just back on that so then for us as leaders if we keep that stuff in mind as uh, the thing that God has commanded us to do in singing together and the thing that impacts people's lives the most that helps us as leaders not to obsess over our preferences for how it sounds so that this Sunday morning is not mainly about I feel like kind of doing this kind of song because I want to see if I can do that or just doing fun musical things. I'm choosing the kind of music we do based on what's going to serve the congregation best and what's going to help them to do what God has called them to do best, not just what I feel like doing. Yeah, that, that's so important because yeah. I feel like so many of these discussions about multicultural worship just become this tar pit of trying to please everybody yep. in a way you never can. Yep. And, and what I hear you saying that, that I appreciate so much is worship forms us. Mm -hmm. And as pastors, we have to take that seriously. Yep. There's this guy, John Whitley, teaches at Calvin uh, on worship. And he says, regular weekly worship forms us for our encounter with death. You, what's, what, why are you singing the songs you're singing? Yeah. I want my students to face death well. John Wesley was asked once why the Methodist movement spread so, so thoroughly and quickly. He simply said, our people die well. Mm. And it had everything to do with the songs they sang. Mm. And uh, if we started thinking about that in the yeah. way we choose songs, yeah. um, it, it really would change everything, yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, I really appreciate you guys. I feel like Matt's probably being like, we're done. Yeah, are we done? Time-wise, yeah, we're good. Um, anybody want to say anything else? That we can I just, can yeah. I just add Acts 6? Uh, we see the first conflict in the church uh, over issues of ethnicity and fairness, uh, frankly, in the food distribution. And that's a wonderful model, uh, I think, for how the church responded to that. Uh, and they basically, this is where the deacons come into play. Uh, and what you see is that um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a qual over the over the food distribution, the Hebrews and the Jews, and uh, the Greek Jews and the Hebrew Jews. Um, and what, what you see is that they bend over backwards because in the people they select, you look at the names, these are all Greek names. And what it's clear is that the leadership bent over backwards to try to accommodate brothers and sisters who Good. were feeling slighted. Good. So I'm not saying that means your church needs to go and flip your style as soon as you get back to be like, look, we're bending over backwards, we're trying to do gospel, we're trying to do whatever. Um, 
but do your people even see effort that you're bending over backward for them? And what I think that can even simply look like, just to give you a practical example, is I think it's a very humble thing of leadership uh, to ask questions and say, please teach me, how can I bend over backward for you? And even if they see you asking, it's like, okay, they at least recognize there's some discomfort and hurdles here I have to hop over. And if people don't even see that kind of effort being made, I think that's what Satan loves to use, which is ripe for disunity. It just, build, it just foster, it fosters a lack of trust between the leadership and the people. They just say, they don't really see us. Yeah. They see their style. They see what they want. But in Acts 6, we see, no, they, the people died to themselves. Uh, the leadership died to themselves. Look, we're going to make sure these brothers and sisters feel seen. Amen. Yeah, you don't have to feel guilty. I mean, even to use the word white privilege makes some people uncomfortable, right? I know that. Um, made me uncomfortable. But the fact is, whatever you have, you have to steward. Yeah. Right, and you have to steward it to give give a voice uh, to give like that access. That's a great example, and that's hard to do. And I think sometimes we're just unaware that that dynamic's going on, and uh, that's why you know I'm so glad you guys you know are willing to to speak yeah. and to speak truthfully about what's really going on. And I feel like the last year or two in our world, in our Christian church, has been sobering and depressing. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I know it has been for y'all. Yeah, yeah. And it has been for me, and it has been for my college students that thought everything was better. Yeah. And, you're, and you just can't believe that anymore, and then you're just like, what do we do? Yeah. Um, and that is, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead, bro. Yeah. A great way to connect. Like, so three months ago, we had uh, four shootings, uh, three deaths on a Tuesday. Uh, connected to one of my community group members. His name is Husky, African-American dude. Yeah. And we found that out at, on a Tuesday, okay? Now, if you're a good worship leader, you're planning <laughs> Sundays. Your Sunday, probably by Wednesday, is coming together, right? So we had, we had something going together, but that was something that we needed, to, we needed to address. We needed to come alongside this brother. All that to say, we cannot ignore that minority majority experience is totally different and as we seek to apply god's word uh on sunday mornings we have to realize that those air orientations are coming from totally different cultures so tuesday we're lamenting we're psalm 46 and you know we're tuesday wednesday thursday another one dies you know and so friday saturday the predominantly the predominantly white church that sojourn is I mean, we have to call those people to say, hey, we need to connect our stories to this brother who is suffering, you know? We need to have time to lament. But you know what, by, by Saturday, I was lamenting since Tuesday. I understand now why on Sunday, it's my time to just sing about Christ's defeated death. Sing about the hope that we have. And so we have to understand those two orientations are very different. Those two experiences are extremely different in, in Faithfulness means how do we apply God's word? How, we, how, how do we speak? How do we sing the gospel um, while addressing these issues? Yeah, and I, I was just going to say that. Uh, those realizations can only come from actual relationships and conversations. And then sometimes uh, there may even be people in our churches that are people who we lead uh, who are struggling and connect with stuff, but we'd never know because we never seek anybody out and have conversations. So I'd encourage leaders to initiate conversations, especially with people who may be on the margins of congregations or maybe minorities in congregations, to just try to get a feel for how they are. 
really small example for me. When I was a uh, pastor in D.C., there was a girl who jo- joined our church. English was her second language. And she talked about her and a few friends in the church who got together after the, the sermon on Sunday to talk about it because it was hard for them to understand the sermon. That changed how I thought about pastoring her and her experience of sitting under the word. And that happened from a singular conversation that made me be able to serve and lead people better. And then the second thing I want to say in response to that too is I also don't want us to be afraid in the midst of tragedy to do what uh, the Psalms do over and over again and sing lament. Like, again, it's like everything is awesome on Sunday morning. Have we ever read the songbook in the Bible? I mean, if you go to the Psalms just for a pick-me-up on, on the morning, it may be depressing. Be like, I hate my life. I want to die. Okay. Um, that's, what the, that's what the Psalms are like sometimes. But all of them hold intention. Life is really hard, but God is really good. And we don't want to skip over that even as we sing together on Sunday morning. Life is really hard, but God is, is really good. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just tell you, I mean, I as I've tried to explore and even listen to and understand more music out of the black church, like there are songs about suffering yep. that we need to sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, man, we just need it. There are rich gifts in, in some of these traditions that are not my tradition that I just, man, I'm just beginning to learn. And there's so much to learn. I'd encourage y'all, there's so much we have to learn. Yeah. And I just wanted to say one thing. You asked if we had just one more thing yeah. to say. Um, I think one of the things that God has taught me really in the last couple of years is the power of prayer. Um, and I think that's something we forget sometimes when we're thinking about even this multicultural worship or just certain things that are going on. I know that um, I look at the book of Exodus and I see how Moses reacted when people complained. His reaction was to go to God in prayer. He went to God in prayer. And then when Moses left to be on the mountain for 40 days and the people complained to Aaron, the first thing Aaron did was please the people. He did not go to God in prayer. So I wanna encourage you guys, if the last thing that you hear me say is this, man, we need to be praying and asking God what he wants. Because God does know what his people need. We need to give them what they need, not always necessarily what they want, because that's what God does with us. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it.